Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. On today's episode, we'll look back at the board draw of Crystal Palace and look ahead to the weekend Manchester derby at the Etihad. I'm joined by two big hitters today, myself, Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. Good to see you as always. And Tyrone Marshall. Hello, Rich. How are we? Yeah, not too bad, Frankie. I mean, I guess we're, we're all doing as well as we can do after another drab United performance, the first consecutive goalless draw. Samuel, we're recording this on Friday just after Solskjaer's press conference. We'll look back on the past game now, but maybe it's important to say that today Solskjaer's press conference, he's stated himself that he doesn't buy into the narrative that United are dipping in form really at the moment. He's again alluded to those fine margins, but... God, that's a bit too positive. It's been a really grim week, hasn't it? It has. It was It was far more entertaining watching Ed Woodward at Selhurst Park than actually watching the football. Um, that that was just... I was so grateful to him for him to actually be animated every now and then because it gave me something to write about. Uh, it was... I, I thought it was pretty bad watching it at the time because at the start it was fo- it was missed and it descended into fog and it was only when I got, got home and I did, I did, obviously I didn't watch the highlights but I, saw, I needed to check some of the clips for a piece and it was borderline unwatchable on television given the weather conditions I think my dad said that when Luke Shaw had a shot late on, he, he couldn't actually see where the ball ended up in the stands. I think it was one of those games where they needed an orange ball for it, but they, they, it was it was unwatchable. Um, United had a very good period of dominance in the first half, didn't get the goal. I think I chatted Ty and chatted Liam Corliss, our, um, our colleague, saying like half-time or just before half-time that this is going to end nil-nil. It just had an air of inevitability about it that early on. And lo and behold, it was a nil-nil. Um, and obviously, as you said, Solskjaer's come out and been quite defensive of United's form today. And it, it is just Pravda mode, really. Uh, I, I don't even think Paddy Crerand or anyone on MUTV would trot out what Solskjaer said about about how United 10 games unbeaten and they, they beat a team 4-0 that should have beaten Real Madrid at the weekend. And just these ridiculous spin. It, it really was a ridiculous spin on, on, on the outlook. I mean... If if you look at it objectively, they're not in a bad place, but it's just the form hasn't hasn't been good. And however, however much he bristles at it, since they went top in January, their their form in the Premier League has just fallen off a cliff. I think it's, it's something like five draws, one defeat in the last eight games since the halfway point. The way they were playing was unsustainable, and it's it's really not so much of a surprise that they are as far behind City as they are at the moment. In fairness to City, they've, they've been in phenomenal form. They've really bucked the trend in being as consistent as they have been, and that's allowed them to make everybody else uh, look a hell of a lot worse. But United had that opportunity and they, they just lost their nerve. Yeah, of course, it was Jose Mourinho who said that finishing second to you know the Centurion City side was one of his greatest achievements. And Solskjaer might well ring out the same sort of phrase at the end of the season if United do hold on to second somehow. Uh, Ty Samuel mentioned you know, in his chat messages to you that he thought it was going to be goalless. I chatted to you saying what time United going to get their penalty because I thought it's going to be one of those days where United sort of squeeze this and the narrative is United win again or whatever. But uh, Ty, in terms of the actual team selection, obviously injuries and the little sort of mitigation which which meant Solskjaer went for the lineup. He did Lindelof was on the bench he's got this back injury but he started but again perhaps what was so frustrating was okay the midfield two of Fred and Matic looked pretty worrying from from the, the get-go but United played as good a squad as they really could at Selhurst Park and and still the performance wasn't there do you think that is down to fatigue? Um, I think there's probably an element of fatigue in that I think I think Solskjaer was guilty of this towards the end of the last season and he's done it again in that he is overplaying certain players. I mean, Fernandez shouldn't have even played 45 minutes against Real Sociedad last week. 
you know, he is overplaying players. Rashford has played far too much football for someone who's been carrying a shoulder injury. And it is just, you know, there is going to be an element of fatigue, but United are not alone in that. Every team has got problems this season with injuries, problems with the schedule. And if anything, United have been fortunate that until recently, they've had hardly any injuries until this recent sort of spate of injuries. They, they were probably very fortunate in terms of, of the lack of injuries they've had. So, you know, it was inevitably going to catch up with them at some point, but they can't rely solely on, on fatigue as an excuse. The injuries have probably exposed a bit of an issue with the squad in that that, that midfield of Fred and Matic was just never going to worry Crystal Palace. I mean, it made it incredibly simple in terms of who to shut down. You stop Fernandez and you pretty much stop United in that regard. At least if you play McTominay, he gives you an attacking threat in terms of, you know, he's good with shots from distance, giving the ball 20, 25 yards out. He can strike it well. He can trouble teams like that and and at least move the defence around. His timing of runs into the penalty area is very good. Fred and Matic offer none of that. And I know Matic went fairly close, just like Fred went fairly close at the weekend, but they're just not going to put fear into into mid-table teams there. You know, that midfield might be acceptable in, to, in, a, in a big game, trying to shut up shop, but creatively, they, they just offer nothing. And I think that's a, a major issue. Obviously, it exposes how much United miss Pogba. Van der Beek, I think we have to accept this season's a write-off. I mean, it's been a, a bizarre week in terms of him being on the bench at the weekend, then being back to being a doubt, and then not being on the bench on, on Wednesday. So uh, it's an absolute mystery what's happening there. Um and, and even if he was fit, I think we've seen enough to know that Solskjaer's simply not going to put him on when United need a goal. There was too much reliance again on, on Fernandez. The forwards don't tend to create chances for themselves without the involvement of Fernandez. So, you know, I think it raised a few issues, but it, probably the biggest issue for me was the absence of Pogba and missing someone who can just do something a bit different in, in one of those deeper midfield roles. Yeah, because it was a game, like you said as well, Tadjian where it was a good night really for Paul Pogba and Anthony Marshall, despite neither of them mm. playing, because, yeah. you know, they, they, their stocks rose. Just on what we said about fatigue before, Samuel, I'm not sure if either of you saw the stat, but of the five Premier League players who have played the most minutes in all competitions this season, four of those five play for Man United. It goes Maguire, Wan-Bissaka, Tielmans, Rashford, and then Fernandez. Fernandez. So the top yeah. five most used players, four of them at United, but still, you know, Samuel, we've, we saw it again in the press conference today. Solskjaer mentioned the fatigue and and how difficult a season it is. But and do you not think he's to blame for, for the way he's managing his squad? Yes, he was, as a player, he was the poster boy of rotation. And as, as Ty alluded to it, or mentioned earlier, that he's overplaying players and he is doing it again. I, I was startled to see that Rashford has literally played in every United game this season. whether L- it's- Even Luton. Luton, yeah. Brighton, the Carabao Cup, Watford in the FA Cup. And I, I mentioned it in a piece I did this morning, just even for some like Fernandez who who didn't play against Watford in the Cup in January, but was an unused sub. He's, it's it's not a rest in that his day starts with him reporting at Carrington, then driving to Old Trafford, then taking the coach to the hotel, few hours killing time in the hotel, coach to uh, the stadium, getting ready, warming up, watching a mundane FA Cup tie, shivering in the cold in the stands, and then going home. Uh, that's that, that he's he's not switching off there whatsoever. He's completely switched on. And someone said how engaged he looked during the game, talking with teammates about what was going on. So. It's barely a physical rest, let alone a mental rest. And he has been overplayed. And the sausage that game thing, because everybody, when that team dropped the second leg, the general thing was, why the hell is it such a strong side? And Solskjaer tried to justify that when he said about how well Sausage had started. 
But I think the counterpoint to that is that if he played players who hadn't been playing and were going out there with something to prove, maybe United would have been more tense, uh, sorry, intense rather than as lethargic as they were when they did start that game. And he clearly doesn't trust anyone else to play at right back other than Juan Bissaka, which is a problem and a little bit quizzical, really, given that Tunes Evie did well there against Everton, the Carabao Cup. Williams is a right footed fullback, so you've got to give him an opportunity there um, more often than Solskjaer has. Maguire, he doesn't, I don't say this flippantly, he doesn't do a lot of running as it is. It's just, I think, the way he's positioned, the position he plays in, he's able to get through games quite easily. But I think even in that Watford game in January, he had to come on because Eric Bailly got injured. So there are clearly, even though the core squad size is probably 23 players with, with, with Ahmad now, I think he probably truly trusts fewer than 20 of those players. He doesn't trust Van der Beek. That was very weird, as, as you said. He was an unused sub at Chelsea, and then he was asked about Van der Beek two days later, and he said he's a doubt. And you're thinking, is he that much of an afterthought that Solskjaer couldn't remember putting him on the bench at Chelsea? But no, he wasn't even at Crystal Palace. I mean, I think the fog must have clouded my vision as well, because I was convinced that Van der Beek was... Um, was on the bench and one of those players wrapped up just not um, getting a run out sooner than they should have. But no, I completely misread the team sheet. In fact, I think I, I, I'm trying to blame you for that, Rich, because I saw your tweet saying uh, why Hayer and Marshall wasn't there. So I thought, well, Van der Beek's clearly not there. But no, I think in, in fairness to you, Van der Beek is that much of an irrelevance at the moment. He doesn't even merit an explanation as to why he's not at a game. Yeah, exactly. I guess that whenever you tweet sort of team news updates as well, fans are going reply saying Van der Beek question mark because like you said, Solskjaer's not even alluding to him or, or giving a reason. No. It's just being forgotten about at the moment. Ty, we talking, although I'm surprised we've spoken by 10 minutes about the past game already. Uh, in terms of substitutions, uh, Daniel James and Scott McTonney did both have chances when, when, once they came on. So maybe it's not a criticism of, of the players coming on at Sellers Park, but maybe the two criticisms are that they were left so late when it was so obvious that change was needed. And the fact that Solskjaer only made two changes, of course, he only made one at Stamford Bridge at the weekend as well. Do you think Solskjaer needs to be braver with these changes in-game? Uh, you know, you can understand why they are easing players like Ahmad into first-team action but you know he's 18 he's at, he's at the same age Marshall and Rashford burst onto the scene so so why can't he be coming on for 10 minutes in these sort of games yeah possibly I, I think it's a big ask for someone like Ahmad to come on and, and influence a game like that but at the same time at least it would give him I mean it didn't look like the players on the pitch were going to influence it so then at least it would give him the experience of, of being that player and if it doesn't influence him if it doesn't influence this game at least he's had the experience and if he's needed again in two weeks to try and turn a game around he's a bit more wiser for it so there's certainly an argument for bringing him on. Um, th- there wasn't a lot of choice with the subs, really, because because of the bench in, in terms of who he could turn to. James and McTominay were probably two of the most obvious ones. I was amazed it took until gone 70 minutes for either to come on. And like I say, both did make a difference to a degree. Certainly McTominay gave the midfield a different dimension. James has been playing relatively well of late. Uh, I was staggered. I mean, I felt five, ten minutes into the second half. United started the second half even worse than they played in the first half. And I was amazed it got to 55, 60 minutes. And he wasn't making a change. It was almost it was almost like the reason for not making a change was trying to work out which three players he had to take off. There were so many that could have come off. So it did seem unusual to, to wait so long. And it in a way, it just kind of summed up United's whole performance. It was just passive throughout, really. There was no no real intensity to it, no desire to go and, and win, no real urgency to it. 
they got a little bit better late on, but there still wasn't that kind of urgency of we need a goalie, we've got to throw men forward and, and kind of cranking up the pressure as we've seen United teams in the past do. It was all just sort of too passive throughout. And, and I think that was reflected on the bench as well with the substitutes. Yeah, uh, perhaps the only other real talk point from Salah's Park was the fact that Dean Henderson started in goal. Uh, David De Gea, congratulations to him and, and to his wife, uh, to sorry, his partner, that they've given birth to their, their first child uh, on Thursday. David De Gea is going to have a spell out of the team now while he looks after the newborn. Uh, Samuel, what did we learn about Henderson at Salah's Park? There was a good save from Van Harnold later on. Uh, replay suggests it might have been flagged offside anyway. But uh, do you think Henderson's got this this run in, the, run in the team? He can really make the most of it? Absolutely. I mean, the understanding is that he could be in goal for the, the six games running, uh, starting with Palace. So the final five games United have, have got this month. Uh, I was told that De Gea requested two weeks paternity leave and that was granted. Hence why he's in Spain at the moment. Um, I think he's, his partner gave birth in Madrid. Uh, so it's, it's completely understandable with the pandemic that um, something like this would happen. I mean, it, I think it's natural that a father would be fraught with worries over his over his wife or his partner when they are pregnant um, in a time of pandemic. And frankly, it looks like that um, that his baby daughter has, has been born and has been born well and healthy. And that's that's all you can ask for. And because of the quarantine laws, that means days out of the picture for a little bit longer. And I suspect because Spain have got a World Cup qualifier in Granada on March the 25th, it's almost a case of he stays out there, he goes back into an athlete's bubble, and then he can come back to Manchester having switched bubbles and maybe he can then be available straight away. I think if he has a negative test and he gets the result within five days of, of coming back to the UK, then he can he can stop self-isolating. But it helps United in a way that there is that two-week international break coming up. And from Henderson's perspective, he's just in, he's focused and working under the assumption that he'll be playing against, well, he's certainly playing against City. Solskjaer said that, but also the two Milan legs, West Ham at home and the Leicester away FA Cup tie. So uh, most of those games he would have been playing in anyway because the Europa League and the FA Cup have been competitions reserved for him this season. It's the Premier League games that he's not been featuring in. But I think Gary Neville said it on commentary. He, he had very, very little, next to nothing to do against Palace. But that's that's the test for goalkeeper. You go 80-odd minutes without doing anything and then you might have a one-on-one to come up against and you've got to look as concentrated and as focused as possible and he did very well and I think the fact that it probably was offside was moot given that he didn't know he was offside the flag didn't go up at the time either and that was the confidence booster another confidence booster he needed it was another clean sheet so it stands him in good stead going into the derby I guess the only other dilemma is is it Lee Grant or Nathan Bishop on the bench but uh, Ty it'd be good to actually see Henderson playing games where he's going to be tested and you know they aren't free hits maybe anymore because it's maybe been the one gripe I've had really with Henderson this season is they've tended to be in these quite boring matches where he's played and things haven't gone quite the way but it'll be good to see him actually be tested in in these key fixtures yeah maybe with the exception of that Liverpool game in the FA Cup when he probably didn't have a lot to do anyway even though that you know Liverpool had spells in that game where they looked dangerous and and scored twice I'm not sure Henderson was inundated with with pressure in the box as such so he, he hasn't you know, he hasn't had a game where it feels like he's really been stress tested, maybe with the exception of Sheffield United when he made a mistake and, and at least he recovered quite well from that. So it will be interesting to see him certainly against City when you imagine he's going to be under pressure and against AC Milan, even though it looks like they're going to be without Zlatan next week. It's, you know, they're, they're still a very good team. They're still in the Serie A title race. So these are going to be games that will tell us a lot more about Henderson. 
Um, like you say, the, the concentration thing was something Solskjaer mentioned earlier in the season about how it's very different from Sheffield United, where you're always in the game, to playing for Manchester United, where you're not in the game for 80 minutes and then you have to produce and, and make a big save. And in fact, Solskjaer was mentioned it earlier in the season, sounded like it was something he had doubts with or, or he had to prove. So I think that save on, on Wednesday will probably be a big a big plus in that column. And I actually thought it was, I think it was Palace's first corner. And they, they were talking on, on commentary about what a big side they are with Coate and you know a real chance to put United under pressure from set pieces. And the corner came in and, and Henderson came for it straight away, caught it, you know, simply safe handling. And that just, you know, it's something as simple as that would send a message to Palace every time they get a set piece. We've got to keep it away from the keeper if he's coming for everything. And we've said a lot recently that De Gea doesn't tend to leave his line. And, and I thought it was proactive from, from Henderson and did kind of take away a, a threat from Palace in terms of, of putting balls on his head and, and hoping that they could cause problems that way. Yeah, of course, it's like you said, the, the things that get brushed under the carpet, really. But a, a fine catch like that early on just eases the nerves, you know, it gets more solidity and confidence in United defence. Uh, that's probably it for the Crystal Palace game. Samuel, you mean, you know, the, the fun didn't stop there. We also had the Drab Affair, a financial conference call on a Thursday night. Uh, in summary, is there anything relevant for United fans to, to take note from that? Uh, probably not. I mean, I'm trying to forget it. Really, I think it's just making me uh, making me tired even even thinking about it. But I think they did a good job of timing it at the time they did because they wanted to sweep it under the carpet. It helped that Liverpool lost five home games for the first time in succession in in their whole history. So what Ed Woodward had to say about some numbers was never going to make any of the back pages. I think it probably would have struggled to make any of the national newspapers. You know, I think the, the key the key thing to come out from it was that Woodward said that the progress under Solskjaer was clear. I think clear is maybe overstating it, but I think progress is the buzzword in that if United do finish second this season, they can frame that as that has been a progressive season, even if they don't win anything. I think a lot of supporters will disagree with that, but from their perspective, you can understand if they do finish second that United keep to that line that they were third last year having been sick the season before that they finished second that's progress let's go all out for the title next year and wrap it up as a kind of three-year plan under Solskjaer but they did go out of the Champions League I know they're in the Europa League and the FA Cup and they've still got the opportunity for silverware and I think the trouble really though is that it's getting to a point now and I think this is just in an indication of how modern football's gone but even if United don't win a trophy this season but finish second or finish in the top four I think Solskjaer's set his houses really going into next season I mean it certainly helps him that there's not an outstanding candidate available to come in and uh, take over that role I know a lot of fans think that Julian Nagelsmann is the best thing since sliced bread I mean I think that's a bit of a leap even though he's clearly got potential and some would like the exotic option of Massimiliano Allegri but I think you know, it's quite telling that Allegri's been out of work for quite some time and none of the Premier League clubs have, have gone for him. So you know, there, there are various interpretations of, of progress. And unfortunately, at the moment, United's form is such that it's starting to wind fans up with, well, sorry, Solskjaer's starting to wind fans up with what he's saying. At the Zoom call today, he said, we're 10 games unbeaten. I don't go with the narrative that we're struggling to score goals, even though they're a game away from going four games without scoring for the first time since November 1992. As I said, the, the spin on it was, I don't think even Malcolm Tucker would stoop to those levels in, tr- in trying to put a positive glean on the way things have been going. But you do have to be objective with these things. And ultimately, this wasn't really a season earmarked for United title challenge. And they are second. So there is a measure of progress there. But 
it's going to gnaw away at them that in this season where it's felt like a level playing field, they lost their nerve as soon as they got to the top. I guess that is the whole situation at United personified their tie, isn't it? That almost every stat you give can either be spun in a positive or a negative way, depending on maybe how you feel about the manager and the team. So it's one of those which is quite open-ended, but there'll be no debate about what happens on Sunday. Man City at the Etihad, as tough a test as it comes, but you almost think United are so bad at the moment that nothing would surprise you. You know, we've seen them go there and upset the odds under Sol shot already um one thing you know he was asked today press conference was why have United maybe changed their style of play in these big games Solskjaer said that he actually thinks United have been playing much more positive against the big, big six sides despite having five goalless draws in those fixtures this season of course one of them was a, one of the exceptions was a 6-1 home defeat to Tottenham maybe they were too positive that day who knows but uh, Ty what do you make of United's approach going into the game on Sunday do you think they should continue with this high pressing play Solskjaer's been going on about or do you think it would be a good time to, to go back to that 3-5-2 counter-attacking style um, I think if they're, if they're trying to become a high-pressing team, then I think they should continue with it. And, you know, if it goes wrong, learn your lessons from it. If that's the grand plan, then you may as well go with it because, let's face it, the title's gone now. This, you know, this game on Sunday in, in the wider picture of a title race is, is completely irrelevant. Even if United win it, it's 11 points. It, it's, you know, it's simply not happening. It's all about uh, small victories for United, really, in, in denying City getting a step closer to that world record of, of successive wins. So I think if Solskjaer wants United to be a, a high-pressing and aggressive team, then they have to continue with it even in these games and take your chances that, that you might get exposed. And if you do get exposed, you, you learn from it. It's you know it's going to be an incredibly tough game. It, it's kind of interesting looking back at the nil-nil in December now because that was you know that was an awful game of football. But it was it was contributed to be an awful game of football by Manchester City. But you look at what Guardiola has done with that City team since then, and it, it's a complete transformation in just a few months. And I know they've got a deeper squad than United and and better players than United. But you know he he has seen what was wrong with the team that they weren't scoring goals. He fixed them defensively and then got the balance right. And now they look a superb team. United look exactly the same now as they did in December a team that can't get the balance right between attack and defence and that do struggle to score goals in, in these big games you know in December they were a team that had had a couple of nil-nil board draws against the big six and now here we are in March and they've had a couple of nil-nil board draws one against Palace and, and one against Chelsea so it doesn't really feel for United like anything's changed and you know, I mean it, it's funny we're talking about the nil-nils and sort of lambasted them for the nil-nils they'd probably snap your hand off for a nil-nil now going into the weekend I think realistically it's going to be a huge ask they did win against City three times last season, but that was a City that were, were vulnerable defensively and especially to the way United play. It feels now like City aren't vulnerable to, to counter-attacks anymore. Ruben Diaz has made a massive difference. His partnership with Stones has been excellent. It feels like, you know, they're very good in one-on-one defensive situations now. They've got the full-backs in field to, to stop against the counter-attacks and it just feels like the way United hurt them last season is not an area where City are vulnerable anymore so United will have to will have to do something different and, and come up with a different plan and it does feel like Solskjaer kind of needs to show that that he can transform a team in the way that the Guardiola has done because it feels like City have made giant strides forward since December and, and United have just sort of stood still. Yeah the results could be telling on, on Sunday. Uh, Samuel another thing which was brought up in the press conference was you know, the, the question that if Solskjaer is concerned about even losing out on a top four place this season and of course, a year ago, it was United who maybe preyed upon Leicester's complacency and defied the odds to, to finish third in the table. And now the boot's on the other foot, really. And if United were to be beaten and beaten heavily this weekend, you would maybe start to worry for, for United's top four hopes, wouldn't you? Well, it's certainly open enough for them to be vulnerable to that. I, I do suspect that Leicester, un, under Rodgers, or, or specifically Rodgers, he's got a tendency to bottle it with teams. He did with Liverpool uh, in 2014 when they should have won the league and 
he just you know didn't really learn his lesson from uh, the Chelsea game at Palace. Had they won at Palace, it might have been a tighter end. You never know what might what might have happened on that final day. And last season, Leicester just dropped the ball. They should have easily qualified for the Champions League, but lost their nerve. So that's that's a bit of a monkey on Rodgers' back at the moment. And I mean, I saw a clip of Joe Cole last week talking about how his West Ham mates looking forward to West Ham Barcelona. But I think that's just endemic of the media industry in our country where there are quite a lot of West Ham fans. And if West Ham string a couple of wins together, it's knees up Mothers Brown and everyone's getting giddy about them possibly winning the World Cup again. But let's face it, they're not going to get in the top four. Everton might because they've got the, the cachet of Angelotti and they've got some they've got some very impressive individuals there who can certainly string a run together and maybe have them competing there at the end of it. Tuchel's done a brilliant job so far at Chelsea. Just makes a mockery of the, the, the mawkish morning over Frank Lampard, who, uh, again, people seem to forget, was was at Derby before Chelsea and was only at Chelsea because uh, he was a brilliant player who for them when he was, when he was a player. So... You know, I think what they did with bringing Tuchel in was completely the right thing to do. And it'll be interesting to see how Tuchel handles the egos because he doesn't suffer fools gladly. You probably saw him on the touchline during the United game. It doesn't matter who who's in the firing line, he'll go for them. And so you suspect that might not last too long in the long run, but certainly in the short term, I think Chelsea will get top four. And Tottenham have got a bit of hope again now because Liverpool's form has been so dire. Um, other teams are dropping points. Tottenham have got a couple of wins together. If, if you're remotely consistent, you'll... You go reasonably far in the league this season. City have been just phenomenal because they have literally won all their games in the last 21. But if, like in the case of United, I think United were 15th when they beat Everton in November and they went on that unbeaten run in the league up until the Sheffield United game in January and they literally went from 15th to, to first. So it, that's that's what's there at stake this season, if you can get that consistency. Unfortunately for United, the injuries have started totting up at exactly the wrong time. Their form has fallen off the off the cliff at a really difficult and precarious time as well but I still I still think they'll they'll get in top four as I said I think they're just they, they've got the experience of doing it last season at least and they have some they have also I suppose the benefit that there is an international break coming up players can get fit come back and then they might be a bit fresher uh, for the start of April you have me back my tongue there wanting to uh, credit Tottenham's turnaround to Gareth Bale's resurgence but I'll, I'll leave that <laughs> one uh, for another day uh, Ty looking ahead to Sunday uh, the team news, uh, you know, it's you never know what to expect from Solskjaer. I mean, it was in his team news last week that he ruled McTominay out of the Chelsea game and then he starts at Stamford Bridge. So you, you never really have any idea what, what he's going to come up with when it comes to the actual match day. It looks like Lindelof should be back in contention. Marshall as well was a, was a maybe. He said he can't really expect to see Pogba back. Ty, what would you go for in terms of the team? Like we said, Man City seems to have these riches and they could have three or four different lineups they could go for. But for United, it seems pretty straightforward team we will see. Yeah, I would I would think so. I would think it's it's probably fairly predictable. I think Lindelof will come back in for Bayi. I think that's probably a wise move against City. It's going to be a game where you know you need you need concentration defensively against City. And if there's one area that maybe Lindelof has the edge against by it's in terms of concentration and, and not doing something mad. So you know he, he probably makes more sense to to play against City. And then you need the energy of Fred and McTominay in midfield. Fernandez is an obvious. Cavani is is an obvious. And then you're probably looking. I would probably play Rashford and James out wide just to try and mix it up. Maybe give Greenwood a rest, but. 
Yeah, I mean, you're basically picking from, a, with the injuries, you're picking from a pool of 13 players, aren't you? And I think, you know, most people can probably get pretty close to, to guessing that team. Samuel, any other changes you'd go? I mean, like, like Ty said, it probably is only two or three changes you could sort of go for. Maybe Greenwood over James, but it'd be interesting to see who actually picks up front. Yeah, I, I think he's still got to go with Cavani. Probably why he brought him off in the week as well. Uh, I mean, that that is an issue. One of the issues with Solskjaer substitutions in that he, is that he's got blind spots with certain players who should come off and he won't bring them off. Like Rashford is probably the um, shining example of that. He, he was dreadful at Palace and certainly should have come off in that game, but he stayed on. It did more harm than good. But taking Cavani off, it was almost as if even Solskjaer had an air of resignation that maybe United were just going to draw that game. It was better to preserve him for the derby, particularly as it was Cavani's first game in, in 17 days. So I, I would still go Cavani. I suppose if you're looking at City's defence, probably three quarters of them are going to be in the team of the year. Cancelo, Stones and, and Diaz. It's just the left back is, again, it's, I mean, it's a recurring theme with City. The left back is always the weak spot in the team. I think that's been the case for probably three or four years. And it's just the problem for United is that they've not got a brilliant right winger to, to rinse Zinchenko, if indeed it is Zinchenko who, who starts there. And if you're banking on James starting there, then it's, it's a, it is a big ask for him, even though he's, he's played relatively well as late. He does seem a lot more restricted when, when he's playing on the right wing. So it's it's a difficult one, and you're certainly not going to get Wan-Bissaka going at Zinchenko as much as he as much well not as much as he ordinarily would because he doesn't do it that often anyway but he's probably going to be occupied by that duel he has with uh, Sterling which in fairness he has got the better of Sterling most of the times that he's come up against him but I, I suspect yeah given that James didn't start in the week it wouldn't be a surprise if he starts in this one and, and Greenwood unfortunately in the last couple of games there's been some flickers of regression there yeah exactly I mean personally I'm probably of the opinion that James works better as an impact sub still I, I do just worry that when he gets these sort of games where starting every week that's when he burns out and that's when you know he runs down blind alleys his confidence goes his head drops and you go back into that, that full circle again uh final question for both of you ty what's your prediction um i can't i just can't see beyond the city win i, I think the game has changed for united in terms of how they hurt city last year uh, i think city city aren't vulnerable in that area anymore and i don't think i'm not sure united can can hurt them as they did last season so I think City 2-0 yeah, Samuel you often say that you, you like doing your prediction after the team news has sort of been confirmed but it seems quite predictable this weekend so maybe we won't let you off as, as, as easily yeah. what, what would you expect? Yeah I, I think the team is as, as Ty said you could probably predict most if not all of the team as well going into this one and it, it makes makes no odds I'll probably go 3-1 City Just like that well who knows let's wait and see I'm going to go for a spirited 0-0 draw um, <laughs> Um, for a change trend. Well, this won't be spirited so you know that is, a, <laughs> is a, an improvement at least but who knows I guess that's that's the beauty of it all uh, we, should, we shall see we will be back early next week to, to reflect on the game at the Etihad and look ahead as well to that Europa League double header so that's all for today Tyrone Samuel thank you very much for joining us thank you Rich, thank you, Rich. And thank you very much for listening again at home. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time on the Manchester is Red podcast.